Welcome to the C3V podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've forgotten the name of the artist that I have up there. Macarata, I think his name was, or not Macarena. Not, yeah, no. But, but uh, the Italian artist, uh, the picture there is of um, a Renaissance picture of um, the, the altar of Noah. The altar of Noah. You heard of Noah's Ark, uh, but that's a picture of the altar of Noah. And that'll kind of make sense to us as we go along. So I've got this big question in my um, title this morning. Now what? Now what? Is really probably how it should be. Uh, the voice inflection. And now what? Um, uh, Luke 7.35, Amplified Version, says this. Wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by her children. Wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by her children. Um, you know, it's nice that Glenn and Sue's get up here. I think that's cool. I, I'm trying to figure out where the wisdom in that is. But uh, <laughs> he, he, he says, looking at his son-in-law, you know, but no, there's the wisdom of God in it. Absolutely. I, I, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm running off on tangents, uh, except to say that Isaiah, in Isaiah 8, it's not a text for where I'm going, but it kind of matches it in a way where Isaiah in chapter 8 says this, uh, Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me, where for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And uh, I would say that of you as a church, not just of relatives of, on a flesh and blood way, that God joins us together to be for signs and wonders and and wisdom will be vindicated and shown to be right by all her children. That's you. That's inclusive of us. And a prophetic thought dropped in my heart recently. Um, I think I was somewhere between the pyramids in Egypt and um, Hanau, Germany. Um, but somewhere in that journey from um, Egypt into uh, Europe, uh, the Lord just dropped this thought and this text into my heart, and I processed it for uh, some ministry I had up at um, uh, Manfred's Church in, in Hanau. In I say up because coming out of Cairo, everything's up, you know, I tell you. Anyway, so um, <laughs> um, the prophetic thought was this, the days of your vindication are at hand. And I find this, that in the uh, itinerant ministry and the, uh, the demand that comes on me to go and be in places um, in, sense, in the sense of the call and uh, direction of the Lord, what the Lord usually does is He places something like that into my heart and then gives me places to say it, you know. Um, and there's no place better to say it than at home when you start to realize that's, that's the same thing here. And I want to tell you, sitting here this morning, uh, and if you're online, listening later on, but the days of your vindication are at hand. Now, vindication is not um, vengeance, okay? It's not, it's not God coming, don't worry, I'll come back and slap them around for you. You know, it's, 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 it's a better word than that ultimately. It does, in the Hebrew sense, have a sense of the word justice and so on in it, and it is often uh, as an alternative uh, uh, that is how it is uh, translated. But I want to encourage you down a line here today. The days of your vindication are at hand. I wonder whether 
You've been holding the line, keeping true, doing what you ought to do, walking with God the best you can, but everything around you was kind of saying, this is nuts, or this is a challenge, or where is this going? I just want to say to you now, and I prophesy and lay spiritual hands across the congregation and say, the days of your vindication are at hand. I want you to go out that door, not right now, uh, I want you to go out that door uh, kind of lifted by the sense that the days, I love that, I love that hat, Deanna, I just, I love that, I'm sorry, I saw it for the first time for a moment, the muffin, I just, for a moment I thought we had a beetle in here or a, you know, an alien, but that's fantastic. But look, the days of your vindication are at hand, Deanna. Yes, you get a prophecy when you're so obvious. But listen, the, the days of your vindication, when you go out here, I want you to be able to speak up out of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit within you and say, my days of vindication are at hand. God's on side with me. God's doing something that's for me. He's not against you. And better than that, he's going to prove his purpose in you and through you. The days of our vindication are at hand. Vindication, let me define it then in the sense that I'm using it. It means setting a straight course that in the end proves to be the right course. Setting a straight course that in the end proves to be the right course. I was at um, Whitman Tolland's church just last week, I think it was, or was it the week before? Last week, yes. Two weeks ago, thanks, Gordon, I needed you here. It's, uh, me, it's getting a bit fried up here. But uh, two weeks ago, I was at Whitman's church, and they, they have been through an enormous investment in a project which they really have heard the Lord on about developing a sound studio um, uh, for releasing both their own music. I love their music. They've got a kind of a, a southern blues rock thing going on there, and uh, the Band of Brothers, two of whom are Whitman's... Um, Whitman's Sons and then a, a, a more uh, in the band, they're, they're creating a lot of great songs and I think we're going to hear more of their songs around the place. But it wasn't, it's not only that for them that they've done this. They feel that there's a new sound to be captured and a new sound to be released and they kind of feel this prophetic thing about the sound of the Lord um, coming forth. So they've kind of stepped up into a, um, a, a high investment as a church in a magnificent sound studio and uh, there would be some who would be scratching their heads saying what are we doing here but with this word on my this word on my heart as I came in and talked to them it's like the place exploded the days of your vindication are at hand and there was a sound all right uh, from the congregation which jumped up and was pointing at me and people were I've never had this in church before but they've grown this accustomed that when they really like something they roll up a few dollars in a dollar notes and they throw a money ball at you. Now, I thought, now how could I just keep saying something exciting? This is good. <laughs> well, actually, I tried to take no notice of it, and neither did I at the end of it. So he scooped it up and gave it to my granddaughter who was visiting at the time. So she thought, granddad, that's pretty good. But listen, uh, the days of your vindication are at hand. And as I was describing it to them, I said, you know, you, it's, the definition is you just where I've written here for this morning came out of that. But there's a, there's a direct line that you have in your heart by the wisdom, by the leading, by the opening of your mind and spirit, by the revelation of God. You're on a straight course. And so the captain of the ship's got the, 
got the wheel and he's keeping to what he knows, following the stars or the compass or whatever. But going back to ancient days, when it got clouded over, it can be very difficult to follow the stars, right? You're in a, a storm week, not just a day. And, uh, but the captain who's been around for years, he knows by the, by the light, by how it is, by the wind action, by the waves, he's, he's observed what's been happening. And so he just keeps a straight course, even though he hasn't got other signs to tell him. And others who are perhaps less experienced on board, okay, Captain, I think, I think we need to just turn a little bit, you know, you know a few degrees this way. Or, or Captain, I, I feel like, you know, we're going into the, the storm deep. I think you should go over here. And all the way along, he's just got to hold the line with the wisdom that he's got. And he keep, and, you know, adjust, adjust hold the line and keep going accordingly. And then when he finally gets right across the Mediterranean and comes into the port, say, of Rhodes or something like that in ancient Greece, he comes in. Those guys who are thinking, you know, we could have or we should have and whatever, go, wow, how did you know about that? I mean, that's amazing. This old guy, he just held the line, kept it true, and there was a straight course. And when he gets off the ship, he's kind of fated for getting them not F-A-T-E-D. But anyway, he's kind of, it's F-E-E with a little on it. Um, he's fated, he's celebrated because, because this guy, wow, wisdom, you see, has vindicated him, has been vindicated by the course that he kept and they come to their desired destination. I want to tell you, you're on course. We're on course. I want to keep encouraging you, church. The days of our vindication are at hand, setting a straight course that in the end will prove to be right over and over again. So Eugene Peterson coined a phrase uh, for the title of one of his books on the Psalms of Ascent, by the way, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. But he, he actually kind of stole it and coined it, um, uh, this phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. But he got it from... Um, Friedrich uh, Nietzsche, if you know him, Nietzsche, however you like to say it, uh, the 19th century German philosopher, who said this. This is the very Christian base to all of this. He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. That's it, man. That's it. That's knowing the course, sticking to the course, and a long obedience in the same direction. It's in that carrying that out that all those pressures to shift and change with the tide or the wind, even... When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, don't be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. The word wind and spirit and anointing all kind of mesh in the understanding of the Greek and also in the Hebrew. So it could all be said, don't be pushed around by, by every anointed thought, every great you know, revelation, every spirit, not even demons necessarily. Don't, don't be pushed and pulled. If you know your course, keep to your course. See? And it's in keeping to the course. It's in the process of holding that helm and going 
with the revelation that God has given you that the process proves the purpose. The process proves the purpose. How many great purposes have been aborted because people, in a sense, opted out of the processes? Here's the, here's the thing. We're not in charge of the process or the purpose. We just have to surrender to both. Embrace the purpose and surrender to the process. Uh, don't look so happy because that ain't always fun. You know. But this is the point. Process proves the purpose. Or I can put it another way in my notes. Process proves to be purpose in the making. So when you're going through stuff, God is up to something. Now, I have to tell myself this just about every morning. <laughs> because to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, what? All things work together for good. Now, what I just did there is I rearranged phrases in a common and well-known verse in Romans 8.28, which says, to those, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But let me say this. In the, in the arrangement of words and grammar, there is this possible thought that it's saying something. I'm going to repeat it again. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. Can you see what that does to the sentence? It says something like this. When you've got that down, when you're into purpose, when you're walking with God, it becomes an attitudinal response. So this is happening, that's happening, this wave's just gone over the ship, we're running aground, we're put, you know, Paul on Malta running aground. And he could have said, we missed the course. But <laughs> if I can explain myself, but to those who love God, to those who are called according to purpose, all things are working together for good. He just it's 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 the kind of person that sort of drives you nuts and says, Well, it's okay, God's in control. You know, he's yeah, it's okay, God's teaching us something. It's okay, it's it's part of how God's gonna process us to get and you're going, Oh, well, okay, that's okay for you, you know. But there's there there is a certain kind of faith and faithfulness that embraces the process. When you are involved in the purpose, when you are a God lover and a seeker of his purpose, there's this attitudinal response. You suspect God's always up to something to progress us onward. You're, you know, it's not just the optimism <laughs> of a real happy chappy. It's the it's the foundational shift that's come in a person's life that's convinced about God and his love and his purpose. And so rather than rationalize away on, you know, rather than think, well, okay, all this has happened, I'm moving out of this, or I'm, you know, that's okay for them, but I got this. Uh, we live in a world that is oblivious to the hand of God. We live in a world sometimes in church that, Christians get distracted from the hand of God because they subscribe to that oblivion, <laughs> obliviousness. That's the word I'm probably trying to say there. Uh, they, don't, they don't get on with what God is doing because this stuff starts to rattle 
the cage a bit. But there is this people who subscribe to God and his purpose and don't let up. And don't let up. No, I'm sorry, you've got me for a few more weeks. And maybe a few more months into next year as a behind-the-scenes hand. But I'm sorry, this is the culture by which I've lived my life, and Patty and I have subscribed to God's purpose in our life. I remember my grandmother said to my, my mum and my sister, my elder sister, decided to, as a just coming out of her teens into her 20s, to go into a training uh, program in a missions college to go to South America as a single young woman. She went through some incredible experiences that were challenging to her and difficulties, another story. But my grandmother was rather alarmed. She said to my mum, Hazel, you're not going to let her go, are you? And, you know, there's very few people who could actually give my mother, Hazel, any advice, um, and not even her own mother. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Hazel said, well, you know, I dedicated my kids to the Lord when they were children and I'm not taking them off the altar now. If they feel the call, that's the call. See? Remember mum telling me about that. But you see, that's, that's the kind of people some of us have grown up to become. We commit, we go, we keep going and we don't rationalize it away in the midst of all that's going, going on. Okay, so I want to take you to Matthew uh, 24 uh, verses 37 and 39 and I, I had a whole other lot to say but I culled it out because that can wait if I'm going to get into it but uh, so I'm not going to try and give you some uh, good exposition of what Jesus was really onto in this text except to say this that the principle holds very strong Jesus said this Matthew 24 um, 37 to 39 in those days before the flood they were eating, drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware. Now, this is the really important point of why Jesus said this. We make the important point, the second coming or tribulation or something else, but this is the actual point. Though I said I'm not going to give you all of that, but anyway, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. That Jesus' point was there was this, they were inattentive to what was happening. Now, contrary to prop, popular preaching, uh, when we get into the story of Noah, Noah was not mocked, at least not in the sort of, um, you know, story of Scripture. There's a sort of common belief and a, and a good story that Noah was laughed at because, you know, uh, this was before boats and ships were ever around. He built a ship and all that. Now, kind of okay, you know, it's, a, it's, it's good anecdotal stuff to, to keep us interested and keep us perhaps uh, a little bit, make the story alive. But the Bible doesn't say he was mocked. What the Bible says, and this is the only place it says it, he was ignored. He was ignored. He was building this thing in front of them, but they, did, they took no notice. They just went on doing what they always do. And, you know, those things aren't, in themselves sinful, you know, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. But there's a coining of, a, of an idea here. They just got on with things that were the, the distraction to them. They got on with life that took them away from perception, took them away. They became inattentive. And then the flood came. You see, Noah wasn't mocked. He was ignored. 
And the lesson here is don't lose, <laughs> you might have it come off the screen, but don't let your comfort zone become your tombstone. You know, that, that's a problem. We could just get on, you know, with, with life and not realize that there's something, there's events. I'm not even trying to, I'm not even trying to frame this message about some pending doom in world events. We've just gone through one. But I don't think, I don't think that's my point. My point is, is really just to say this, that, that, that right now, um, you know, we could ease up. And our comfort zone becomes our tombstone. Hebrews 11 verse 7 is a real contrast. It's still about Noah. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, of his children. Wisdom is vindicated by her children for the saving of his household. So what we got here, Noah by faith. This is the Hebrews uh, 11 uh, Hall of Fame of Faith. Okay? And uh, it, it, it actually comes out of the last verses of Hebrews 10 where, where uh, the writer to the Hebrews is basically saying, um, you know, don't, don't shrink back. Um, don't quit. Uh, hang in, hold on, keep on. And then he goes into these wonderful brief testimonies of patriarchs and prophets and people, men and women, who gave their all to keep with the program, who gave their all to stay on the course. And, and they, they somehow had a wisdom that was not conventional, that wasn't derived by, from the circumstances. They were somehow taken to believe God. And this is where this whole faith thing comes up in Hebrews chapter 11. And lo and behold, in the middle of it all, uh, we, we find Noah. And it says this, Hebrews 11 verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his health, household. And the word faith, get this, and faithfulness are 100% the same word throughout New Testament, in the New Testament Greek. We could reread this text like this. By faithfulness. Noah being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You see, it was in the doing, he was a, it was in the doing of God's will. It was in the flow of God's purpose. It was in the holding of the line in what he understood by some sense in the spirit of wisdom and revelation working in him. We'll probably bring that up in a few moments again. But he, he was walking a court and, and he began to discern the moment and the opportunity. And by faithfulness, he heard from God. And by faithfulness, he did something about it. And faithfulness and faith are so interrelated, I think we've done something wrong in pulling them apart as two different issues. And so when Noah and his family finally came out of the ark after the flood, wisdom was vindicated and shown to be right. Let me come home to us as a church. This church, like a number of churches around, and we're of this ilk, was established 
in the crisis of faith to invest all one has for the sake of a city, for the redemption of others. It's not everybody's calling to do that, of course. But there are churches in the city that are established by opportunism. There are churches that get established because the denomination wants to fly a flag. And whatever good cause comes out of that, that's okay. But there are others that are established because, not because you wanted to or it was a good idea, but the God idea wrecked the person's life in a very good way. And they gave their all. That's what I call the crisis of faith. To invest all they have for the redemption of others and the sake of a city. And to, to, to move that point on to where I want it to go, it, the, the same church is carried forward in that original purpose by the faithfulness of the invested. Capital T, capital I. By the faithfulness of the invested. In our long obedience together, we're outworking a revelation and a call of God. We're outworking the wisdom of God. We're outworking what the spirit of wisdom and revelation has committed to us. Thank you, Jesus. So as lovers of God and His purpose, we can kind of we can kind of take this verse, Hebrews 11, 7, and um, kind of apply it in a rewrite for ourselves, you know, consistent with what it's saying. And let, let me just <laughs> let me just do this for us if it's not already up on the screen. In this season of great change, in all that sort of come about this year, you know, God told us right at the beginning of the year, I'm telling you folks, you're going to be surprised. You know, it's going to be a year of surprises. And we go, oh God. You can stop your surprises now, you know, okay. But, but let, me, let, me, let me read what this, could be, the, the, this verse could be written in application. By faith and faithfulness, C3V is built in reverent fear of God's plan for us and for events yet unseen for the salvation of men. I hope that settles in your spirit. Don't let reasoning and rationalization reinterpret the meaning of the church and its place. Don't let the current circumstances shift the vision, the purpose, and the call. I love you, kid. You know... <laughs> As I've said already, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are according to His purpose. Whatever we're walking through and have walked through, we're just allowing it after it's kind of slapped us around, try to pull us and push us and, and send us off course or make another kind of a decision or whatever. But we're coming down to settle the issue. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation who constrains us to keep to the purpose. It's not ambition. It's just not ambition. I don't have any ambitions. Maybe I do. A beach. <laughs> One more time. This is not a there's a difference between ambition and vision. 
Vision is for the, in terms of God, is for the sake thereof, but ambition is for me or for the invested themselves only. But the spirit of wisdom and revelation constrains us to the purpose. That's why it says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. You see, with that revelation of purpose and, and what it's all about isn't there, they're not constrained. Some of you might be not constrained about this because the spirit of wisdom and revelation has not put this in your heart. That's God's job, not mine. But I'll preach like it's my job to tell you what God can do. <laughs> it's what the Bible calls soul winning, by the way. You see, the testimony of Noah in Hebrews 11 informs us that God puts redemptive plans in the hearts of his faith-filled and faithful servants to save the day but also for the ongoing purposes in unseen circumstances in the days to come. So a church gets planted in 2001 in which numerous young lives have been saved, cleaned up and set on their way. We saved the day for some. Over the years, We've had bigger venues, more seats out, more people in attendance. But we have the joy of looking back, just a rear view size look back, rear view mirror size, because knowing that your front windscreen's always much bigger. But you can glance back and go, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And you can see the lives. You can see the marriages. You can see the children. You can see the marriage, marriages that are people that have found each other. And church is a good place to be. They found each other. You, know, and so you look back, but you see the salvation of, of many. And so you go, well, well that's, that's fantastic, God. That, that, that was the plan for the day that souls would be saved, right? But God has a plan that takes us from the save the day thing to the future that says, there are unseen circumstances. This, is, this was Noah all over. He was saving his family, but he was doing something. This is the bit I culled out of my message. But he was doing something for the sake of you and me. Because not only did he save the whole human race in that we all somehow hearken back to him as our great, 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 whatever, grandfather, but he preserved the godly line through which the Christ would come and he's in of course, the genealogy of Christ through which there has come the fulfillment of all God's promises of salvation and through which will ultimately come the redeeming of the earth. The very earth that Noah saw come under judgment will come under the restoration in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Way too big, way too much, but let it fiddle and tweak your mind. But you see, Noah was involved in something far bigger than he realized when he stepped up into the purpose of God. You see, God's wisdom will be vindicated and shown to be right by the offspring, by the outcomes, by the children, 
You see, from my perspective, the effect of the, on the churches of the uh, sudden impact of the worldwide, you know, the pandemic, that I was going to call it the worldwide misfortune of the pandemic, has led to a lot of confusion. I get out there, I got asked to come and, Patty and I, got asked to come and have dinner with a, a prophet, very well-known prophet who lives in North Carolina. And uh, it was a wonderful time with him. But his big question was, you travel, you connect, you see, what do you think God was doing in the pandemic? And I you know, sat there for a minute thinking, how do I sound wise? Um, and then I, I, I just said what I, I've often said to you. First of all, Jesus never left the throne. First of all, God didn't lose the plot. So he's always been on and doing what he's always been doing. And then I said this, but when I observe churches, this is what I see has happened. Some churches are radically diminished. Some churches, some people have become distracted from being involved in communion, in fellowship, in person church. Some people, um, you know, have kind of moved away from it altogether. Uh, but I had to say this to him. I think some have, churches have been disciplined. There's been a kind of a slapping around in the very loving hand of God to keep us in track and on track. Not going to go down that track too much now, or maybe not at another time. But I also have to say this. As I observe, I think some churches are being divested, forgive me, of dead wood. Because didn't Jesus say, I will prune you so that I get more growth? And if you go through John 15 where he says this, you're already in this kind of a, a, a balancing, juggling act between, is he saying, the vine is people? Or is he saying being in the vine is the outcomes of the godly character that we find by being related to Christ? And the reason why you can't say one or t'other is the only point is because it's both. And I have to, as a pastor and a leader, sometimes just go, God, you're in charge of this. It's not for me to point a finger or put a person down. But God takes out what is going to be an inhibition, an inhibiting factor to where he's going. However you like, he took me out and Patty and I out out of a big church in Toowoomba, Queensland, because we were not going where it was going, but it's gone on very well without us, thank you very much. And they've supported us down through the years and I get back there and preach it. I understand the principle on the other side of it as well. So I have no problem with this. You have to really understand what my heart is saying in this. But when I looked at the pandemic and I was asked this question, I said, I think it's diminished churches. I think it's disciplining churches. I think some have become distracted. And I think there's also been a divesting of dead wood, a pruning amongst the churches. Well, this prophet got very excited about that. He said, we need to get together. So when I asked him, what do you say? And he said, well, there's only one thing I say, I feel. He, he loved what I said, by the way. But he, he said, there's only one thing I feel right now to say, and that is that the Holy Spirit is putting his hands out and inviting people back to church. Back to church. 
So I put that in my notes. The Holy Spirit is inviting you back to in-person church. And people are hearing it. People are coming back. Because the lovers of God and deep down want to be in the purpose. And the spirit of wisdom and revelation is always governing them in the hopes that they will come and keep connected and keep going on in God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, we've heard that God, <laughs> that God prepares long. I was sort of a little hesitant here. But God prepares long for a suddenly. We've preached it. Remember my, remember my message on uh, receive mode or protect mode, the coconuts message, you know. Not going back to that yet, but God prepares long for a suddenly. You see, in hindsight, not knowing what was coming, the decision by our own team of eight, we had eight leaders five years ago in a fairly close, committed team to leading the work. By our own team of eight, they fasted, they prayed, they listened, they discerned, and the plan of God, as they really believed it to be, was to secure the lease on this building, which I've become um, to call Crosstown. That was five years ago. And that was after 16 years of a nomadic church and movie theaters and well, I wasn't going to say, it's not a strip club, was it, love? It wasn't a strip club. A pole dancing club is just about as bad, you know. We did have to cover one sign which said, yeah, anyway. But, you know. You know, we've been around. Uptown, overtown, I tell you. And so five years ago, when this opportunity came with the coinciding with an amazing financial gift, there was prayer. There was fasting. I know there was fasting. Some of them told me. There was listening to God, and there was discerning the plan of God. This is why when somebody else, after the event, says to me, you think you made a mistake? I just go, I'm trying to restrain my hands. Because uh, on several scores, I trust the Holy Ghost. I'm committed to the purpose. I'm a lover of God and his purpose. And thirdly, they were and are magnificent people, and I trust them for being authentic and hearing from God, and that if we were making a serious mistake, some of them would have thrown themselves across the doorway, pulled out their machine guns, and said, don't do this. But that never happened. I believe it was God. Well, what do you do with that now? Because right at the end of the pandemic and we're starting to come back, we get news we've got to get out of here as of the end of December. How are you going to go and say that? What are you going to say about it? Well, let me just say this is what I want to say about it. <laughs> Thanks for letting me ask the question and answer it for you. But coming into this building validated our prophetic journey like nothing else in our whole journey since we've been in Canada. The story behind this is staggering. It's a book, or should be. You know, the whole, I'm looking 
down there at Mitch. I remember the night when Mitch and Mike and a few of us were in here. You know, we were pulling up stuff. The place was under a reno with God's little renos in here with crowbars and hammers and whatever. And there was this, found this booklet under the, I've got to move off quickly, but you can get a copy of the booklet that was found under the original pulpit, which was a statement of faith from an original pastor who just happened to be our mentor way back in the 1970s, the guy who's probably most responsible for my theological perspectives and his hand was on my life and getting us to Canada in the very first place. And coming in here was like God kissing the journey. And then he just happened to have the church that has those in that, you know, up the back lane here with the big spires on that, what is now a housing complex. That was his original church. And then Jimmy Patterson and his people helped him to buy this and set it all up when he moved out of that more conservative church into this to go in the flow of what God had on his life. There were so many things about Crosstown that was confirming of our prophetic journey. If it was only for that, for me, it was worth it. Because God funded it and I didn't have to. And neither did you. That's extraordinary. So we've gone five years where God underwrote the venture. That's extraordinary. It doesn't make sense, of course, to everybody. Oh, people want to pull you off the court. It doesn't make sense. That's unwise. You know, I've had a, a very esteemed pastoral friend say to me, you know, I would never have done that. And I think, well, that's sad to say I would never have done that. Because can God intervene against your rationalizing and reasoning to shift you by revelation to do something that don't make sense in the natural but makes sense in the ultimate purposes of God. And we get back to Noah again, you see, building this strange thing that would not only prove to save his family, but would also, in a sense, prove to save you and me through Jesus Christ. Ha! I hope you're getting what I'm saying. So this place has been important, but I think it's also been important in the light of the the uh, pandemic, you know, uh, um, I, I mean, I don't, it's more anecdotal that I say this. It's just that I went to ministers' meetings before the pandemic that were loaded, and I went to a ministers' meeting or two after the pandemic that there was hardly anybody in attendance. And the thing to me just seemed to be, from what I heard, that churches have folded up, especially ones without facilities that were using rental facilities. What did God do? You know, like, Three or four years, three years before the pandemic, he had us established in a place. He says, I'm going to preserve this thing. I've got an ark. Come on, you animals. Get, in, get on board. Sorry, I love you. You're all cuddly little koalas and things like that. But providentially, we have ridden out a storm, and we, we, we maintain, we exist, we still do. We're still preaching to people. We've still got people online. We've got people who, who come and go. We've got you who come. We've written out the storm. Wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by her children. Coming to the big conclusion. Got about five minutes to do it. So will you click your seatbelt on or put on your life vest, one or the other? But there came a time after the flood 
when it had subsided. Whereupon, and you'll find it in Genesis chapter 8, 15 to 18, says this, And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. That's eight people, by the way. Bring out (laughs) eight people. Do you know that the building that they're building here is called number eight? Did you know that? If you go out and look at the big sign that's hanging on the side here that the new landlords put a number eight. Big sign. It's an actual name of the But anyway, that means nothing to you. That's just one of my fettered imagination things going on. But eight people came out of the ark. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Now, when I get to that point of the verse, it begs the question, right? What next? We did that. We did that. We just had five fantastic years. We did that. We had hopes and dreams that it might go to something else, but we did that. What next? The answer is in verse 20 here. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Let me tell you something very important about Noah's altar. That's why I've got this picture in the background of my slides. Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is the very first altar of the living God in Scripture. The place of sacrifice. The meeting place that became the established and ordained meeting place of heaven and earth. Where holy communion with God was iterated on the basis of of shed blood, fulfilled, of course, in Christ. And from where the vision to go forward and multiply was reiterated. So as we leave the ark in coming days, we've got to be untied from Crosstown. I'm going to cry when I drive away from here for the last time. I'm going to cry even more when I see the big wrecking balls come smashing down, knowing its long history and its importance to the work of God of the city and how it was purchased and the faith that's been in this place and the prayers that are going on. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. But we've got to be untied from Crosstown and remain tethered to the altar of sacrifice. Psalm 118.25 says this, God is the Lord and he's given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. We remain tethered to the altar. In this we'll be vindicated. We keep that straight course. And here it is. This is what the altar of sacrifice is. We establish this by giving our all. We've gone forward together through faith and faithfulness of the invested. It's come to this, but it doesn't stop. The purpose remains so simple. Win the lost, 
make disciples, build the church, because we're in view of the city, as is written on the glass there, with the city in view. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. When you subscribe to purpose, nothing's changed. It all still stands. Our mandate now, of course, is to reestablish the altar of worship in another venue as the salvation celebration place of our communion with each other and with Jesus, our Savior. A place to reiterate C3V's mandate and mission to the city. Oh, we have a place in mind. But you're going to have to come to church next week. Because I did nothing about it. And I think it's up to Glenn and Suze to let you see on a video thing up here. A few of us have had a look at it. Again, it's about walking it out and the sensitivity to the, what God is saying and providing and doing. And, you know, it's not quite sewn up, but it's pretty close. Come to church next week. But I think this is the important principle this morning. Hebrews 10, 35 to 39 says, don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. But you need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan. So you'll be there for the promised completion, whatever that is. It won't be long now. He's on his way. He'll show up. Well, I kind of go, come on, show up, Lord, in renewal, revival, in fulfillment of other promises and prophecies and prayers in this church. And it's as if the Lord is saying, but if anyone who is right, I'm just reading from the text here, from the message version, but if anyone who's right with me thrives, anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I'm not going to be happy. But we're not quitters who lose out. Oh, no. We'll stay with it, survive trusting all the way. The days of your vindication are at hand. Would you stand with me right now? Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.